try to keep concise. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Let me know. Give me a little signal. If I'm... <laughs> no worries. I'm rubbish at that. All right. I pressed record. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new I've met through my career as a senior marketer and trusted advisor and hopefully through these conversations share some marketing street knowledge that'll bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 2nd of July. I hope you had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. And if you're in the US, have a splendid long weekend. This week, I'm joined by Rockstar CMO advisor Jeff Clark as we complete our series on brand purpose. And the brand discussion continues as my guest is Margie Agin, who's recently written a book on the topic. And of course, I'll round off the week with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, for a chat and a cocktail. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. As regular listeners know, Jeff Clark is a former research director at Serious Decisions and Forrester and is now a Rockstar CMO advisor. And this week, we complete our series discussing brand purpose. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am doing very well. How Jerry, are you doing? Kid. I'm doing all right, mate. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, so we're going to continue with our discussion about brand purpose. And for listeners that haven't been listening, this is our third part in a trilogy of discussions. Uh, we've talked about innovation. We've talked about whether a business needs to have a purpose as part of their brand, about as part of their branding, as part of their brand message. Um, so for our final one, uh, and to wrap this up in the next 20 minutes or so, Jeff, where do you think we should go with this? Well, I, so I was thinking that, that we should talk about is your purpose a business? And, and a couple a couple things, you know, made me think about this. One is that is that, you know, if you, you know, the purpose usually is associated with some kind of higher cause. You know, it might mm -hmm. be, you know, a religious cause or, a, a, you know, social justice or something like that. And, 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 you know, last week we were talking about innovation and, and, you know, yeah. the overuse of the term innovation is grading. And at least to me, and part of that is because I often ask, so you're innovating, but is that innovation, you know, really important? I mean, are mm -hmm. you, you know, are you creating another app, you know, for a phone or are you trying to solve, you know, something that, that the world really needs <laughs> solving yeah. and, yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, and so, um, so that's, you know, when you think about building a, a business around something that might be important to you, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things you need to be, be thinking of because, you know, you, you just can't be driven purely by altruism and, 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 and the, but, you know, there's all these large threats on, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're mm -hmm. making our way through a pandemic, you know, in some places we feel like we're over it in some places we're yeah. stuck in the middle of it. And it's like, well, Gosh, what, how do you, how do you, 
there be so many things people want to do and unless you're a drug company, you're kind of like, well, what can I do? And is that something that I could build a sustainable business upon? Um, you know, and there's there's lots of other of these big existential threats. I mean, anybody who who, um, you know, reads dystopic uh, novels, which, <laughs> which are big these days, it's it's always pandemic, nuclear warfare, climate change, species extinction. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like it's like one of those big things. And so, you know, when you think about these things that I mean, particularly, you know, hey, you know, threat to the life on the planet. Well, there's a need there. <laughs> so yeah. so. But, you know, but how do you, you know, unless you're, you know, in a sort of a public policy position or something like that, you got to think about how you how you solve that need. And 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 yeah, I just I mean, in the U.S., we have the West has been having this just ridiculous heat wave. And you just hear yeah. all these stories of these people who are, you know, like a, there was a story of a mother who gets the kids up at five o'clock. So they go out and play for a couple hours before it gets mm. too hot, before it gets mm. to 120 degrees. And you're like, oh. You know, yeah. and and um, and so you know, how do you how do you try to address those problems? And as and as this has been going on, I I got involved with a, a, a fellow that runs a business called Ecos VC, and he's helping find investments for companies that are uh, you know coming up with ideas, whether it has to do with climate change, clean technology, you know, so all these things that have a higher purpose, and and so in being in reviewing of some of these business cases, I'm talking to people that are doing everything from devices that alert customers when power demands and rates are high to, uh, you know, people providing marketing services to utilities to promote, you know, energy efficiency mm -hmm. measures, solar insulation, et cetera, et cetera. And so that made me you know, just start thinking about, you know, so if I'm a marketer and I and I see a need a big challenge out there and I, and then I said, Oh, you know, I got this great idea for a business. What are those things that I need to really be thinking through to say, is my purpose a business or, or, or not? And, mm -hmm. and um, I mean, I've come up, kind of come up with five things, which is not, you know, to think about which are not necessarily mutually or no, exclusive list. There could be other things, but there are things that really stuck out to me as I was, um, as I was kind of going through this process, reviewing people with their their business ideas. So this is so you've you've steered this conversation about brand purpose for us marketers to what do I want? How do I create a business or a brand around a purpose that I believe in? Is that is that what you've gone and done? That that is what <laughs> I've done. <laughs> so what are these? So you're reviewing these these um, entrepreneurs, I suppose that that oh yeah that are passionate about um, about a purpose and they're, and they're trying to create a business around it. So what have you seen then? Um, what, what are these five things? Well, one of the things, you know, what's interesting is, I mean, in this, in a lot of our discussions on, um, on the podcast here, you know, we've been talking about, you know, understanding the customer need and, um, and that is just like, that comes up time and time again. It's like, do mm -hmm. you really understand the need of who your customer, who your buyer is going to be. And is that a, I mean, are there immediate needs? Are there, are there long-term challenges? And you have to ask yourself, okay, is somebody willing to pay for it? So do I have a solution in search of a need mm. in search of a customer <laughs> who's mm -hmm. willing to pay for it? Or do I actually have something that is, that somebody will, will pay for it? And it, what, you know, that made me think about, 
in early in my career was during the energy, the end of the energy yeah. crisis and the, you know, the solar business and lots of things yeah. were, were just getting started. And, and, um, there was a, there was an immediate need because we were going through a crisis in which people were like, can I keep my house? It's too expensive. What can I do? Yeah. And yeah. The government's giving me tax credits. Okay. You know, I'll go out and I'll buy stuff. And, and then when the crisis abated and the tax credits went away all of a sudden the the market dries up because it's like no longer is there both an immediate need and an incentive mm -hmm. to, to do things and that so you, you you need you really have to be thinking about uh you know long term i mean obviously if you if you're just satisfied making money in the short term you mm -hmm. can jump on some crisis but long term is there something there that i can build a business on um, but so that's, that's one. Isn't oh. that? It, it, but that's really interesting, right? Is that are you suggesting that people that are cause or purpose based in their businesses are forgetting that fundamental? Because that's a fundamental for anybody, oh. isn't it? Is Absolutely. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is you've got a great idea, but how do you, who is going to be who wants it? Who's going to be prepared to pay for it? And right. and is the is there sustainability in that? Yeah. And and I think that's because because I mean a lot of people I mean at least certainly I've seen people it's like I have a skill. Uh, -huh. uh and there's a challenge out there and 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 it's and um and am am i matching something that that these two things together with with the, somebody who's willing to pay for it mm -hmm. um so and particularly if you're an entrepreneur i mean if you're if you're just trying to get a job and you've got certain skills and somebody mm -hmm. else is is going out on the limb and building the business and then you know yeah. You can, matter of fact, I went through that myself. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. learning how to do sales and marketing, yeah. you know, with a, with a company that was, you know, that was early in my career that was sort of on the, the riding the energy crisis. And, um, mm. you know, so I got some skills and, and, mm. uh, but I didn't lose anything when the, when the business went under. Um, but knowing who, you know, you're, you're, um, knowing who is willing to pay for that product service sorry, and, and, you know, is there a volume at yeah. a price point that can sustain, sustain the business? So I think that's, yeah. that's just really important. And, and the, the example that I was just I, kind of just, so I could finish the one I was yeah. referring to is, is, you know, I was working for this company that, that hadn't done energy analysis software so that, Initially, there was a utility that was the buyer, and it's like the utility wanted to send reps out and you know say you know your house is either in efficient, inefficient, what the issues are. Here's how much money you're spending. Yeah. Boom! Here's how much money you can save if you, you know, yeah. And 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 again, that that was great for a short period of time. But when we tried to go to uh, for-profit companies like mm -hmm. you know heating air conditioning companies, that just you know it, it wasn't there, and and so. Short term, there was a business. Long term, there wasn't. Right. There weren't buyers willing to pay for that. Right. So that's your first thing. What's your second? Well, that actually was a first and a second. So one oh, is cool. be clear about the buyers and their understanding and their understanding mm -hmm. of the need. Mm -hmm. So you you've got somebody who understands it, and then is the buyer willing to pay for, right. for that particular right. product right. or service? Because you could right. run into it where it's like, yep, I get it. This could really be helpful, um, but I you know, I can't get the budget yeah, or yeah. I don't have, don't have budget set aside or yeah. I'll be an early, you know, like you can find an early adopter, you know, where, where does it go from there? And so that, that leads me to what I'll say is now the third one, which is mm -hmm. who is the buyer? Um, and, and from that perspective, it's like you, 
particularly if you're in a B2B situation, and a lot of the companies that, by the way, that I was reviewing, these entrepreneurs, they they were focused on the utility being the customer. So mm-hmm. an electric utility, maybe electric or gas utility. These are big, complex organizations. So you may find somebody who is the champion who's like, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to put this program together and I need help in promoting it. Or I need I need things yeah. to sell or blah, blah, blah. But that's one person you know, who's the, who's the decision maker? So who does he go to, to say, I need budget to Mm -hmm. do this project? Mm -hmm. Who are the users? You know, is the user somebody at the utility? Is the user, the consumer, you know, Mm -hmm. the customer of the utility? Who are the gatekeepers? Who's influencing? And Mm -hmm. and so you get into these, and and that's where you could easily say, I've got a, and, and, you know, there was a, one company I was looking at that was that had a uh, a sort of a community social platform and a, and a and video creation services so they could help in promoting programs and right. it's like okay I mean that's a great it's a great concept um, who and the utility may say oh we could really use this but who mm. you, know, you have to help them figure out if if you know if you're mm. selling to them you have to help them figure out okay the user is this individual. And the and and you know I'm going to find my champion, and I need to know who they need to get the money from. Right. So you 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 can look at the utility and say, well, they've got money. Mm. Yeah, but they've got money, but <laughs> they've yeah, got money. Who, that's, who's yeah, yeah. That, that that's you know that's focused on all kinds yeah. of other things, and it's like do they yeah. have money in a pot that is that. Uh, that but it's so, fun- so fundamental, isn't it? Because I think a lot of these ideas that you're looking at from these entrepreneurs is they're good for the world. But the world's yes. not they're not who's the they're not the buyer. Like yes. you know, like yeah. they're passionate about the fact that what they're gonna do could bring change, but somebody has to engage with that yes. And, yes. and and pay for it. So so that was the, three. The, so what's the, your I'll, four? I'll I'll say the the biosphere does not have a budget. <laughs> <laughs> sadly, yeah, sadly. And what's um, what's your fourth well, one? So the so the fourth one is um is understand the potential of public investment versus private purchasing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there could be, um, uh, you know, public policy that is driving uh, either demand for advanced market forces, such as like what I was talking about early in the energy crisis, uh, you know, and the government was giving away incentives for, Mm -hmm. you know, solar installations, you know, all kinds of different things that were, that were supporting renewable energy businesses. And, um, and so, so there, there's somebody who is, is either, purchasing, you know, whether it is a government or an NGO or in, in many cases, utilities, kind of a quasi government buyer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there may not be a private consumer market for this, but there could very well be a, um, uh, you know, something, some entity that is willing to push the market. Um, one of the interesting products I saw was uh, a device that alerted um, the consumer when power demand was high or when in cases where the utilities have um, sort of peak use uh, yeah. Uh, rates. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, it, in the middle of the day, it's going to be more expensive. So I'm going to give you an alert that says you can, you know, don't run your dishwasher, whatever, turn yeah. down the, the air conditioning. And so, um, so there it's like, you know, you're, you're trying to find a, somebody who's actually got the money to invest the resources to buy it's in advance of the market itself being a solution. Um, but then you also have to be thinking about, um, is this, uh, 
is the public behind this investment and is it mm. behind it long term? And I think one of the interesting examples of that is that in the, um, you know, in the Obama administration, when they were doing the economic stimulus back after the financial crisis, 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. you know, they invested in a lot of uh, renewable energy, clean technology companies. And then the, the you know, the, um, the other side of the political aisle, anytime there was a, a, a hiccup in, you know, we invested in a solar company and it went under like Solyndra was one of yeah. those. And it's like, okay, waste of money. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, you know, you've got an understanding or should have an understanding of, of where this is going long-term. So mm -hmm. obviously long-term, a lot of those investments have paid off. Whereas in the short term, it was, it was not viewed as a, as a success. Right. Right. So that's fairly unique in that space, isn't it? And that there'd be public funding, but I guess for a lot of organizations, um, you're really recognizing that there is appetite in the market and therefore budget for change of some kind, right? So whether it's yeah. government funded or whatever. So if, if the, if the thing is an entrepreneur, you're, you're hooking your wagon onto, you're, you need to look beyond the next three, six, nine, and, and sort of understand that, yep. that, 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 what the pool of money you're going after, that thing that you were saying about making your money, my money. That got a good reception on, on LinkedIn. And then, um, Twitter. uh, yeah, so we, um, so, so that so that's great. So, so what's what about your fifth? What's the fifth one? Well, the the um, the fifth one, which I kind of alluded to at the beginning, is you you can't be driven by pure altruism. I mean, there still needs to be a solid um, business mm -hmm. case, and you know, and and so you know, if you're an entrepreneur who has a set of skills and you're trying to match a set of skills to to you know this higher purpose or this big you mm -hmm. know challenge, then then, you know, you've got to do your homework. You've got to say, you know, have I created a business case, be hard on yourself, get input, get, you know, from, from whoever, shop it around, you know, in uh, sort of informational meetings with maybe some of your potential buyers um, and, and use all of that work. And a lot of the things that, that we were talking about before to just, you know, build the business case, you know, is mm -hmm. the, is there a need there? Is there a, is there an individual or organization with individuals who are willing to buy? Can you mm. can they you know do they have budget to buy things at a price point that will help you scale or go long term? Yeah. Is it public? Is it private? Uh, and um, you know, and if you are selling to a public entity who is uh, or, or utility that that has the consumer. You know, then you've got the business to business to consumer. So mm -hmm. not only have an understanding of the people who you think are going to buy this, but have an understanding of who the ultimate consumer is, because are you helping, you know, like this this company that was working on kind of a platform and services to help utility promote their uh, their energy efficiency programs? It's like, OK, you know, are you. Are you what are you doing to help the utility improve their relationship with the customer, the mm -hmm. consumer, because that might be the ultimate thing they're willing to spend the money on? Um, yeah, you've got, you got to understand yeah, the yeah. consumer because you got to understand that the consumer yeah. is actually going to look at what yeah. this service is being provided is a positive thing or they're going to just turn around and say, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. The cynicism, but that also, um, 
But that would all, may also rec- um, suggest to you where, I mean, it's a bit like we were talking about the other day about brand purposes. What is your actual purpose of where you sit in your segment, right? And if you're, if you're passionate about in, um, energy efficiency and you end up selling into the customer service side of, of, a, of a utility, you don't mind, right? If yeah. that might be where the utility sees the benefit of your yep. Of, of your product or service. So that, that sounds really interesting. And I want to say, sorry, carry on. Oh, I, I was going to say, it actually makes me even think of another thing, uh, another item, which which may be interesting if this relates to, you know, either one of your other speakers today or um, a future topic, which is, so is the is the brand that you're creating for this con- this, you know, this entrepreneurial company, is the brand focus on the purpose, the higher purpose, mm-hmm. or is it focus on what you do in the market for your customer, mm-hmm. which would be yeah. the latter would be the more important thing. So I don't, yeah. I don't want to create a brand around, you know, again, by, by climate change solutions, Inc. Yeah. Because people are going to say, well, okay. Yeah. What, but <laughs> what, are, yeah, what are you yeah. doing? What are you yeah. doing for me? That, that yeah. is, it's it has to have it has to have some specificity, specificity, <laughs> and yeah. it also needs to appeal to uh, the end user, which I think neatly summarizes um, probably what we've been saying over the last three episodes, which is that you need to be keyed into the voice of the customer when you think about your your brand and your brand purpose, and it's no different if you're trying to build a business that actually has a purpose where, rather than just a brand purpose if that makes sense so and 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 then the thing you're questioning there is is your purpose a business whereas i think we started off talking about whether we had any business talking about purpose (laughs) (laughs) do we have any business talking about the purpose of a business and i think that a lot of a lot of brands don't have any business to be talking about purpose because that's not what they are and and i think we've seen a lot of that with the political movements and woke washing and all that kind of stuff but in this conversation is really interesting is the opposite is the purpose that you believe in can you make that into a business and what are the steps you need to do and that was really interesting thank you very much so uh, jeff um sadly for our listeners uh we're going to lose you again for a few weeks so as you go traveling and on the road for a couple weeks and uh, back uh later in the month excellent and uh, well i will wish you a a happy holiday weekend because it's the fourth of july weekend for you guys so congratulations on on having a country and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I know we owe, we owe a lot to you uh, for having a country to shed. Yeah, yeah, you're doing a reasonable job. Um, so <laughs> Thank you. You gave us a great start. Really. And and where and if people want to try and um, interrupt your your holiday for the next fortnight, what um, where would they? Yeah, don't, don't call me. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn is still, you know, Jeff Clark in Amherst, Massachusetts, and yeah. Rockstar CMO Advisors are still the best places to get. I, I would include all the links in the show notes. And thank you very much, mate. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. They just out here walking. I don't know. I can't understand it. You, yeah, you right there. I'm saying, what are you here for? Hey, yo, pick up the phone. Yeah, I'm getting mad calls, and I'm saying, though, I'm not really all that large. I'm just hungry, really. I need to get put on. Could you put me on? Put me on. 
know what I'm saying? I got something I want to do. Listen to me. Hey, yo. You. You're not listening. Hey, yo. Thanks, Jeff. Regular listeners will notice that I forgot to ask him about a track. So I got to pick this week, and that was Jazzalude 2 Purpose by Guru. And as you heard, Jeff is taking another break, but he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, you know where to find us. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. And of course, I'll include all of Jeff's links in the show notes. Right, on to this week's guest. Award-winning marketer Margie Agin helps B2B technology companies discover what makes them unique and find the words to say it. She's the founder and chief strategist of Centerboard Marketing, a marketing agency based in the Washington, D.C. area, and as you'll hear, author of Brand Breakthrough, how to go beyond a catchy tagline to build an authentic, influential, and sustainable brand personality. Before founding Centerboard Marketing, Margie led demand generation efforts for the education technology company Blackboard and digital marketing for video conferencing leaders Tandberg and Cisco. She also taught content marketing and web writing at Johns Hopkins University. An absolute pleasure to get connected to Margie. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. Margie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for joining us. And so for people that don't know you, Margie, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So um, I'm Margie Agin, and I have a marketing consultancy in Mm -hmm. Falls Church, Virginia. It's just outside of D.C. called Centerboard Marketing. Uh And we focus on helping B2B, mostly tech companies, Mm -hmm. figure out what makes them different and then find the words to say it. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a one woman shop, uh, sort of with circle of friends. So I, I kind of grow and scale uh, depending on the client, but really get embedded with folks um, to understand their business and, and work on product marketing, content marketing and marketing campaigns. That's splendid. I didn't know you were in Falls Church. I used to live there. Uh, years ago, many oh. years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably changed a lot. <laughs> I suspect has. We used to live by the school, by the big high school up there. Um, oh, yeah, that's yes. where I live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what inspired you, to, uh, uh, apart from our little um, journey there into where we live, but what inspired you to get into marketing in the first place? Well, I certainly did not come from a family of business people or really even know anything about marketing. I, I was a, you know, liberal arts major through and through, honestly, mm-hmm. and I learned languages. I studied Japanese. Um, and after college, I went to Japan and I taught English. And, you know, that's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came back, I, I ended up getting a job with a market research company that I think hired me because I spoke some Japanese and Mm -hmm. we were, we we helped companies um, figure out how to expand uh, overseas or partner with other companies and also did some due diligence where we would interview customers. And occasionally we would interview folks in Japanese. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually how I got into it. Wow. Uh, sort of through the side angle because I had really no business experience. Yeah. But I, you know, I learned sort of on on the ground uh, and actually thought market research was a great way to start learning about marketing and interviewing people and asking Mm -hmm. questions because, you know, you have to figure out ways to sort of 
learn yeah. on, on the job and listen to what people are telling you. And I mean, I still 20 plus years later, use a lot of those interviewing kinds of skills yeah. that I, that I learned in that first job. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's funny, we've had a couple of guests who's, well, we have a couple, we've had a number of guests whose background is in music for some reason, uh, but also in language and that people are fascinated by language and then they become you know, they become marketers, particularly around content marketing. And that's what I was also interested in from from your career, because you early in your career, you mm -hmm. were with a publisher. And I'm always, I mean, I guess this comes from reading a bit too much Joe Polizzi, but I'm always inspired by yeah. you know, the fact that there's a lot we can learn as content marketing, as marketers that's come from publishing. So was that has that been your experience? Because you were you were doing this before content marketing was a thing. Yeah, right? um, I mean, in a sense, really, uh, content marketing is just is marketing, right? Mm -hmm. We're always writing, mm -hmm. we were always trying to communicate and explain, we just mm -hmm. didn't necessarily have a, a platform of a website. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in terms of publishing, I think what Joe Paluzzi says rightly is that, you know, if you're, if you're creating a blog, mm -hmm. or a newsletter, or any kind of content marketing piece, um, you're setting the expectation that you're not just going to be a one and done. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like the web is littered with ghost towns of, true. <laughs> you yeah, know, true. of, of blogs that, that started for a year or yeah. had a summer intern and then disappear, right? So you, yeah. you do have, for the publisher, you do have the expectation that you're going to publish on a regular schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, media publications have a deadline. You yeah. have to publish at that time with whatever you have. Yeah. Um, and so th those are some things, you know, that you learn kind of that that process of right. working quickly yeah. and having to do it. Um so that's, you know, that's, that's definitely something um, that I think is a, is something that we can learn from publishers. Yeah. On the flip side, I mean, I, I worked for a media company, um, a newswire, and they had, they were extremely removed from who their readers actually were, right. even more so than newspaper, right, which can sort of do a survey mm -hmm. or, you know, or, or really tap into a local market. When you're a newswire, you're selling through a newspaper, mm -hmm. right, through to the end reader. So they had very, very difficult time really understanding. We didn't have all the tools yeah. um, to, to really figure that out either. Um, whereas if you're writing from a content marketing perspective, you have the opportunity and you're sort of obliged to be a good content marketer, right. To use yeah. that opportunity to actually understand what your buyers want and how they're responding and how they think and feel. So I think there's things that content marketing can also, you know, teach yeah. the publishers as well. Yeah, no, I love that discipline as well. Cause I felt it myself because if you don't ship, if you don't deliver and, and that's where you can get into the situation where perfect is the enemy of good, right? You never, actually do the thing because you right. think you can make it better and better but if you commit to yourself I'm going to do this and I'm going to publish this on Tuesday or whatever the day is you do it and then you get into that rhythm I mean it's the same with this podcast right I, I do it every day every Saturday morning is when I when I launch it and it's it's it becomes a discipline doesn't it Yes. And it, it forces you to stick to a schedule and constantly yeah. be thinking of new ideas. Right. Yeah. And then you're, you're training your readers or your listeners also yeah. to know oh, it's Monday and it's coming out. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You hope. laughs> Good Lord. Um, I have to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Set your watch by it. Yeah, well, the, the other interesting point that you, we were talking about 
languages yeah. and that you, yeah. you have a lot of people that you talk to. I, I think it's no surprise. There's different paths to marketing, right? Mm-hmm. There's the amateur psychologist. Yeah. That is definitely a piece that I have too, but <laughs> yeah. you know, we like to think about how people think and, yeah. and what makes them tick. Yeah. Um, and also the, the language side of it, we, we're communicators. So mm-hmm. I've always loved to write and I like languages and like we were, we were talking about this before the, the show started, but um because I work with a lot of tech companies and I talk with a lot of engineers and developers, Mm -hmm. there are times when they're talking about things that, you know, a multi-tenant cloud-based architecture that is elastic and scalable. Yes. But in their world, it's not jargon, right? You're laughing, but these are, these are things that terminology that I've had to learn as if it's another language, yeah. right? And yeah. then try to translate that language into sort of human speak. Yeah. Why yeah. does this matter, right? Yeah, Why do we care about this? Absolutely. Um, the role of- What's important about it. And yeah. I think that that's also what appeals to me is the language aspect of it. Yeah, no, that's cool. And it's the role, isn't it, of, the, of B2B tech uh, marketers, which I've spent a lot of my career in as well. Yeah, I completely understand that. Um, I also was interested in the book that you wrote because you've written Brand Breakthrough, How to Get Go beyond a catchy tagline to build an authentic, influential, and sustainable brand personality. Quite a mouthful there. But what I also liked, which is why I wanted you on the show, is as you as you've heard from the show, me and Jeff Clark have been talking about brand purpose a lot. And there you are. Here comes a guest that's actually written the book on it. So that's splendid. Um, what inspired you to write about this? So I, I was a in-house marketer for about mm-hmm. 15 years mm-hmm. before I started Centerboard. And I've had that agency for about eight years. Um, but in, in both those roles, particularly in-house, we would see a lot of kind of brand projects mm-hmm. that were built almost in in isolation, mm-hmm. right? Sort of the marketing team goes away for a retreat or they hire an agency yeah. and they're sort of in this mountaintop kind of view yeah. and they come out with a great catchy tagline. Sometimes it's an awesome cat tagline, yeah, right? Or a very high level kind of brand purpose statement, vision statement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? To rally around. But then they sort of leave it and drop it off at the doorstep of the rest of the organization. And marketers and salespeople and really anyone who sort of has to communicate externally then has to take that very high level brand statement Mm -hmm. and figure out how to interpret it to do their job. Yeah. Right. So I I would sort of be the recipient of that and then have to figure out what to write on the website. Right. Okay. (laughs) But, but I didn't have enough, enough meat Mm -hmm. on the bone. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why actually really why I started my business and and also why I, I wrote the book is I wanted to talk about how you bridge that gap mm-hmm. between a very high level brand statement and much more detailed kind of positioning and differentiation and then how you bring it to life with the words that you choose mm. and the way that you say the things that you say so that it doesn't just sort of sit on a shelf right and it's yeah. just some some great sentence that that we stick on a maybe on the home page but how we actually embed it in the different things that an organization um, does and people's day-to-day jobs so that it saves time it saves money yeah right and yeah. and then it gets much more sticky I loved it I mean I was I was trying for the purposes of our audio I was trying to repress a laugh 
<laughs> she was talking <laughs> there. I was just grinning. Well, there, but... It hit close to home? Or... <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and we always talking about it on this podcast is we're talking about that that conference room or that, that you know, that, that marketers go into. And in, in glorious isolation, they'll come up with all sorts of things like taglines, personas and stuff like that, which is out of touch with either their customer and what the what the customer wants or what their what their actual company is all about and what it delivers so i thought that was really interesting but also in, the, in but it's all, all very well us saying you know oh marketers need to be in better touch and they should they, they they shouldn't create these taglines but what i liked about your book is you were talking about a framework for building a brand personality so step us through what that framework is and what you would recommend marketers do if they if they want to sort of not just come up with these catchy taglines yeah it's i mean it's not a quick tick the box exercise, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you can start it at any level, especially if you're a startup and you're just figuring yeah. these things out, right? You yeah. dip a toe in the water and then you're constantly, you're yeah. testing and yeah. and revamping. But yeah. I think there's, there's really three pillars. There's your internal organizational culture. Yeah. Not just the marketing team, but other parts of the organization. Yeah. Right. That's pillar one. And then your customers, what they think of you, sort of yeah. from the outside in. Yeah. And and then there's the competitive side. The third pillar is really, are you saying anything different from what anybody else is saying? Yeah. Right. Where do you fit it in the in the rest of the world outside of your bubble? Yeah. So so the the first piece I was thinking when you you were talking about the marketing team in a conference room. Um one of the best examples that I, I can think of uh, of a company that does that did that really well when mm-hmm. they're when they were revamping their brand, a company called Illusion, which is a, an ed tech um, software platform, mm-hmm. and they had what they called a mirror room. So they they put up all of you know the marketing team worked on sort of a, a start a starter yeah. brand framework, right? Yeah. They did bring in different people from different departments to hear what they have to say, right? Yeah. Salespeople actually are really in touch with customers, yeah. right? And they're hearing it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. So we're customer service people and, and tech people, sales yeah. engineers, right? These folks. So so they they brought in a lot of that. And then and what they did was they um they built a mirror room, which was a dedicated sort of some people call it a war room. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the you know the mirror room is let's see all this stuff reflected back to us. Mm-hmm. So starting internally mm-hmm. Right, bringing in different people from different parts of the organization, and then they went out and they talked to customers, yeah, uh, prospects, lost customers, right, right, to hear what those folks said about the organization, right. But they were very transparent about it, right. So they put all this kind of up in the mirror room so that you could walk in and really see all this kind of reflected back to right. you. Yeah. So uh, spent a lot of time, and one of the things they heard from customers which was very interesting um and kind of changed the way they thought about it thought about their own kind of uh, value proposition for an example in, so initially they they were testing the idea that um that their tagline or their value proposition would be something like you know we we help students be successful mm-hmm. right okay. and what they heard from their customers which were colleges and universities well, hey, you don't help. You're, you're not the one helping. You're the one helping <laughs> yes. the students be successful, right? Yeah. So they basically changed, shifted and pivoted similar, but mm-hmm. uh, to say we, we're enabling you right. to help customers be successful. Right, right, right. And, right. and just little shifts that they made along the way because they were listening and adapting to what their customers said. Yeah. 
And then the third piece, just to close off, is sort of then you take a hard look at what you're saying and how you're saying it, mm-hmm. right? And and put it up against your competitors and you say, right. um, and I think uh, we were talking before about Anne Handley. So yeah, she yeah. says, if you took the lo- logo off your content, right? And, yeah. and you took your name, your logo off content, would anybody know it was you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you look at your content through that lens and you say, yeah. no, I sound just like everybody yes. else. So then you got to go back and you say, all right, well, we know what we think makes us special and we know what, what our customers like about us, but how do we express this in a different way so that we're truly differentiating ourselves from, from all yeah. the noise? Yeah. I'm, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before in, in a past life, I actually took the copy from, from the website of the vendor I was working with and two of their competitors. And I stripped out all the branding mm-hmm. and I said, which one is us? Right. Not nice. which one was them, but which one was us, which one. And they couldn't, you know, they just they, they didn't because the copy they were using was so generic. And I think that's such an important thing is that you, you need to look, you know, you need to look at the your competitors and you need to look at differentiation and you need to get beyond the blah blah words about what is genuinely different about the way you serve your customers. And the only the, one of the things I would say about um, that process of um, going through all these iterations and getting all of this feedback is, is, is there a concern sometimes with your clients that they're going to somehow water down some really great idea and it's just going to become sort of like something created by committee or does, does the original idea still, is it, is, do you need somebody strong in there that's going to kind of push through the original idea so that, so that, that isn't lost? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and, and a good point. Um, sometimes there's a very clear idea, especially if there's yeah. a, a founder, yeah. right? Or, yeah. or some folks that have a, a real clear vision, yeah. right? And, and so you're more tweaking around the edges and, yeah. and being inclusive, right? Yeah. Looking for things yeah. that you may have missed. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes there, there isn't a clear idea. And, yeah. and in that case, the danger is we don't want to give anything up. Right. Uh, like we're, yes. we're sort of afraid to commit because yeah. what if we're wrong? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, right. And yeah. so I, there, it does take sometimes that strong personality or or to or an external person to sort of bring it to the surface and force a decision. Yeah. To say, you know, you can be both uh, professional and accessible, mm-hmm. right? You can be both of those things or you, you can, but you can't be super funny and jokey and mm-hmm. still be, you know, conservative or, yeah. or traditional. Yeah. You're going to have to make a choice. Yeah. Um, that's in terms of the brand style, yeah, but yeah. even in terms of messages, you can't be, you know, DIY and easy to use. And um, you know, we're, we're here to help you yeah. and, and it's complicated right? and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. do everything for you. So you have to kind of make a tough choice and, and yeah. bringing those things to light sooner rather than later is, is a key part of that messaging process. Because if you don't do yeah. that early, then, you know, everything does get watered down, yeah. like you said, and, and you just don't have a, a leg to stand on. Well, that's the thing about being different, isn't it? You've got to have a, the confidence to be different and to recognize that some people are not going to like that difference, but some people are really going to like it. So you can try and be nothing to everybody or something to somebody or uh, something. Exactly, 100%. 100%. <laughs> but it's confidence because if, yeah. you're, if you're in the early stages of, yeah. of your business, you're yeah. not really sure what's going to hit and what isn't. But yeah. eventually you say 
you you say, okay, I, I, where where do I have the best fit, the best yeah. customers where like it's awesome when we're clicking and you yeah. know it, yeah. it feels smooth and seamless, and you're like, okay, well, obviously we we have something that's working for these people. So let's go find more of those people. Yeah, no, I love it. And I'm going to bring us to our final question now. Um, we've got a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO. So we import our portal to marketing hell where we throw all the BS snake oil and overhyped trends of this industry. I think we both love. What would you throw in there? <laughs> I have such an image in my mind <laughs> of the portal to hell. <laughs> um Gosh, I think I think we'll go back to language to kind yeah. of bring us full circle, right? Yeah. Like I cannot stand to make my you know skin crawl when I think when you see something bitten by a marketer that's the leading provider, you know, <laughs> cutting edge, seamless solutions for business agility and digital transformation, right? <laughs> it's laziness. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't so, hold in my laugh there as soon as you said leading provider. It's like that has been uh, like yeah. that. that has, Every, we got to cut through. We got to cut yeah, through this. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think leading and, uh, provider. And find the real words. Yeah, I mean, in our industry, I think leading provider has got to be the first one to go <laughs> straight into the swimming pool. Well, that was perfect. Thank you very much, uh, Margie. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Best place is my website. It's mm -hmm. it's centerboard-marketing.com. Mm -hmm. um, and, and on there is also uh, a link to the book. And there's a, a free guide on there if people are interested in in sort of the action guide that goes along with the book. Mm -hmm. um, so if you yeah. want to sort of jump to that and just download that piece for free um, for your listeners, um, you'll find it on there. Uh, excellent. Well, I'll include all the links in the show notes. Uh, so thanks very much, Margie. And I really look forward to speaking to you again. Absolutely. It was really fun. Thanks. Thanks, thanks Angie. Bye-bye. Thank you, Margie. Enjoyed that. And I recommend picking up her book. And I will, of course, include all her links, including to her book, in the show notes. Right. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening and time to find out where my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, would like to transport us to for a marketing thought and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend. Welcome to the bar. We, you know, what I realized uh, yes. was, uh, you know, it has been forever uh, since we've made anything really fancy. Um, and uh, so I thought this week we needed something fun and tropical. Um so it's been forever since I've made a pina colada, but but we are going to have a pina colada this week, um, nice. because I'm feeling tropical and I'm feeling um, that we need something fancy with umbrellas in our drink, and so yes. yeah, this week we are drinking you know and and a typical pina colada, which is ice and which is blended of course and frozen um, yeah. with pineapple, uh, pineapple juice, um, coconut yeah. cream. Uh, and right. then what I like to do is combine both white and dark rum, uh, put all that into the blender, blend it up, and away we go. Blender. 
Right. Okay. Let me think about all the things that I don't have on my desktop bar, starting with not having that's a blender. Right. So, so that's a bit of a problem. And um, what was? Did you? There was ice in that, right? But you just sort of crushed it all up, didn't you? Well, it's it's blended. It's a blended frozen drink. Yes. Yeah, so there is initially ice that is then yeah. crushed, but yeah, crushed. Well, I've I've. Uh, well, you know, cr- I mean, blended, right? I mean, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, what I've done is I've let mine melt slightly on my desk and then put it in the glass, which I don't think is exactly I the same. See. I see. No. Uh, and then what? What? Uh, and what's the uh, what's the liquor that you put into there? Uh, the, I, I do a combination of both uh, light and dark uh, rum. Mm, I don't have well, a particular um, brand in mind, but yes, just good, a nice good rum. Good rum. Okay, so I'm I'm going to choose the, the the rum of of England, <laughs> cool. which which this week again is Hendrix Luna Gin. Hello, Hendrix. Ah, your Luna well, there you gin. go. Well just a yeah, slug of that. Ooh, ooh. That's a nice adult-sized slug. I see. Uh, and, and then, um, me, me, and again, this week, I'm going to trust the good people at Fever Tree that they're going to give me the thing that I need to put into my very light English rum, and that is going to be cucumber tonic water. Ah, beautiful. Yep, there we go. Nice bit of nice little bit. Put a bit more tonic water in there. Actually, think about it. Um, let's give that a taste. It's not. I haven't got any umbrellas either, or a blender, or any of the accoutrements required of a pina colada. But let's um, let's try this. Oh, that's delicious and very refreshing and very fancy. All of the things that we were saying that we needed. Very nice. Thank there you. you. And what did you yeah, call that? Very nice. What, what are we calling this? Uh, we are calling this a pina colada, <laughs> which is about as basic of a pina colada as you can get. Well, well, mine is delicious. Thank you very much. And I could, I could drink these pina coladas every week. Hmm, that gin is nice. I like that. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> we are sipping pina coladas uh, with our umbrellas and looking totally fancy. Uh, where are we going to be doing that? We, well, I mean, we have to go somewhere tropical, right? I mean, that's that's the whole point of all of this, um, is to go somewhere tropical. Um, and so uh, I think we have to go to, you know, I, I have I have the uh, South Pacific on my mind. And so I'm feeling like we need to go somewhere near Fiji or somewhere near the South Pacific. There is a place, and I think it's closed still because of the lockdown. Yeah. It's called Lakau Island. Um, and it's a premium resort, like this very tiny little island uh, in the South Pacific where you can go and you get a bungalow and it's, you know, it's, it's a gajillion dollars. But um, <laughs> you are on this private island with a chef and the whole thing. That's right. where I think we need to go uh, this week. Okay. That sounds perfect. Sit on and, the beach, I mean, put our toes in the sand, drink pina coladas with umbrellas in them, and we're going to be good. Fancy. Very nice. Um and um oh it seems a crime doesn't it sit there and discuss marketing but i guess by day five um i'm imagining we're there for a while the the topic of marketing must come up between us so what would we be discussing this week robert uh well you know here's the thing Mm -hmm. so do you know these have you ever do you have things in your life that basically according to every best practice in the world shouldn't work, but somehow <laughs> does for you. Um, 
you know, for example, I'll give you an example of this. So for me, it's, it's, I don't, I live in Los Angeles and I don't have a car. Um, right. and you know, it, that should not work for me. I mean, yeah. even though my wife has a car, it should be a mm-hmm. huge challenge for us to not have two cars and in living in LA cause you have to have a car in LA and I do not, I do not have a car and it works for us. There's a, um, there's another one which is more general. So, and they actually, there's a word for that. I found out that there's a word for this. It's called percussive maintenance. This is when Mm -hmm. your piece of electronic equipment doesn't work. So you slap it, you know, you smack it (laughs) and all of a sudden it comes back to life. There's no (laughs) physical reason this should work, but somehow it does. It it always seems to, to work. So I've been calling these, um, not best practices or worst practices, but idiosyncratic practices. Basically Mm. it, it works for us kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in business, um, I'm starting to notice this pattern that I see it all the time. This is especially true as we work with as many consulting clients as we do. And, uh-huh. you know, there, there, there are these idiosyncratic, you know, we sort of all work from the same playbook, right? You know, in, you know, we read all the marketing materials, we read thought leadership white papers, we read all these things and say, this is how, you know, best practices should work, right? And nobody does them all, right? And, right. you know, there's, and I see it all the time, right? There's, you know, the organization we worked with just recently where every single person on their 10 person content marketing team, including by the way, the CMO reviews every single piece of content that goes out the door. That should be a massive Good bottleneck for them, but somehow they make it work. They 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 they, right. they make that work. Then there's there there's a blog team that we worked with recently at this B two B tech company. They have basically said they're ignoring every bit of organized SEO ever. They just don't even pay attention to it. They don't. It's not that they don't they disagree with SEO. They just don't do any of it. They don't do any of it, and still. They're getting this exponential growth in organic and subscribed audiences, you know, just because of their what they do. They should struggle yeah. at that because they're not doing better. But they don't. They don't. They don't. They're just sort of not avoiding all organized SEO altogether. And so I think about these things. And one of the things that I have taken to doing is looking at a marketing team or a content team. And one of the first questions I want to ask is to say, what's not broken for you? Because the last thing I want to do is come in and, you know, see one of these things like they don't have a car or, you know, everybody reviews stuff and have them go, yeah, but that's not broken, you know, because it's easy for us as consultants or people who come in and try and fix things to see, go, aha, there, you're not using a best practice and sort of say, best practice, best practice, best practice, fill all your gaps with best practices. And you can break everything that way. Yeah. And, so one of the lessons, of course, of best practices, you know, we've we've learned over the years is that best practices are always a starting point. They're not an end point. You know, your mileage is going to vary for anything mm. that you see out there on the web as a best practice for approach. But the same yeah. goes for our idiosyncratic practices. The same goes for the practices that work for us. We always have to be willing to challenge those, to press on them. You know, like I review whether I should have a car every year. I always come to the same answer, but I do (laughs) actually ask myself that question every year. Is this the year to get a car? Do I really need a car? Um, And so we should realize that our idiosyncratic practices should be tested. 
But we should also realize that we don't always need to change the way it's always been done just because that's the way it's always been done. There might be a very good reason that's the way it's always been done. It just, you know, it shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah. I love that. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, and I love the fact that we always, the, the, the poor, that's the way it's always been done, always gets knocked and always gets challenged. Right, but what doesn't that's exactly get challenged right. Is, yeah, what doesn't get challenged is the best practice that you're bringing in. And I, I'll be completely honest with you, I've, I've been, you know, I've been the person that's like had it very fixed in my head the way things should be done. And that, there's some pain there. <laughs> you know, if you try and ride against some of this, that's the way it's always been done. And sometimes that's necessary pain because it, those things shouldn't be done that way. But sometimes you don't need to fix everything, right? You don't need to that's right. fight every hill and every battle and, and, and make it just so in the best practice model that you've got in your mind. You need to roll with it sometimes and, and see that this stuff works. Yeah, that's exactly right. You just need to... You know, it's one of those things where I'm I'm finding more and more that every single business that I talk to has, you know, ha- and this is especially true of really successful businesses, mm-hmm. really successful businesses that I see in more than one way or another has is not complying with some best practice. In other words, you know, we read, you know, I mean, I read a ton of business books and I read a ton of marketing books. And of course I read, you know, blogs and white papers and thought leadership. Mm -hmm. I try and keep up with everything that's modern in the approach to marketing and sales and digital and customer experience and, you know, the things that I generally cover in my work. And, you know, I feel like I'm pretty read up on that stuff, Mm -hmm. but what I inevitably find is when I go into a, a client situation or any successful business and learn about what they're doing, their success is not predicated on following every best practice. In other words, you go in and you start mapping out what they do. Inevitably, there's something that you go, that should not work. <laughs> and it just does. You know, it, it just does for them. It just, it does. And yeah. weirdly, it's not some flavor of a best practice. It's completely, you know, uh, you know, sort of orthogonal or, or even opposite, you know, the, the, the best practice yeah. that you, you, you think of. And so it's, it's just a very interesting thing to me because you know, if they came to you with just that and they said, this is the way we're doing that. Is that the right way to do that? And you'd go, no, here's a white paper that says you shouldn't do it that way. Here's a book that says you shouldn't do it that way. And then it's yeah. like, but it works. Why, why are we changing yeah. it? So how do you approach that then? But how have you managed to build? I mean, there's a level of patience or something involved there in, in I guess, listening as a consultant and understanding what's working and what's not working rather than just slipping into the, right, okay, well, here's the model that we need to try and make work here. This is my model. How, how do you do that? You just press on it, you know, yeah. because... You know, the other, the flip side of that, the sort of negative side of that, of course, is that you can run into a situation where, you know, we have rationalized that it's working, even though it's not, right? In other words, uh, yes. we have become so, you know, we, we've yeah. become so used to the way that that's the way it's been done that there's, yeah. we don't even look to see that that might be a bottleneck for us. 
I'll give you an example of that. The, the one company that I mentioned where they, uh, everybody reviews the content before it goes out and you're like, there's no way that that works. And then you're like, yeah, that really does. They just have a very smooth process for that. Well, they've been growing and then they started to realize as they grew the people, um, that, yeah, it, there, you know, there was a limit to that, right? There was yeah. a limit to that idiosyncratic practice because once they grew to like, you know, 12, 15, 20 people, well, now it doesn't make sense for everybody to review yeah. the content, right? There was a, there, there was some limit to that. And, it, and, and had they sort of kept their head in the sand about the whole thing and not sort of pressed on it, once they started to grow, it could have been a problem that they simply were just, you know, not solving. Um, yeah. And that's where we have to sort of, you know, start to look at the bigger picture and start to ask questions like, what if I didn't do that anymore? Right. That's, you know, when, I, for example, when I review my car situation every year, I don't just say, do I want a car or do I not want a car? Because the answer is always no. The answer is I don't want a car. I have rationalized yeah. that to the nth degree. Emotionally, <laughs> I do not want a car. What I have to do is really press on it and say, but should I have a car, right? Should, should, I, should I get one? Will it make other parts of my process or workflow or you know life better? And I have to really honestly sort of examine it because I can rationalize that to death. And so we just have to sort of pull back the covers a bit and be willing to, to be, to see it in a different light. And hopefully, you know, one way or the other, we'll, we'll either fix it or not. Right. Right. So it's, 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 um, it's, it's, yeah, I think because the other thing is, is sometimes you don't want to open Pandora's box on certain things, do you? It's like, that's working enough. <laughs> I don't know whether yes. I want to touch you know, so, that's right <laughs> yeah no but and exactly I also like right. the, yeah i also like the idea as a, as you as a consultant coming in and being open-minded enough to to sort of think that okay so this doesn't really fit my model but maybe it works for them so i think that's great so that's that's perfect yeah. thank you very much some fantastic advice as usual robert and where might people be able to find other drops of advice like well, you'd find it on our website, which of course is uh, World Wide Web. That's www. <laughs> contentadvisory.net. Wow, the .net, man. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> the dad genes domains. Yes. <laughs> that is. And when people spend the dot on the interwebs, where will they find you? Uh, they will find us on Twitter. Um, or find me on Twitter, I should say, at Robert underscore dot Rose, or Robert underscore Rose on Twitter, yeah. and then on LinkedIn with uh, however LinkedIn does their URLs. Just a quick search, you'll find me. Splendid. Well, I think you can be forgiven because these pina coladas are excellent. So. Yes, they're fantastic. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Uh, and will I see you in the bar next week? Ah, uh, you will, of course. Thank you very much. Well, I look forward to that, my friend, and enjoy your week. Thank you, you too. Thank you, Robert. Some great advice about making your own best practice, avoid the dogma, and figure out what works best for you. So, that's a wrap on episode 69 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Margie, and Robert. I really appreciate their time and for them to share their insights. So, please take a look at the show notes, follow them, and share their work. You can find the show notes 
at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Let me know what you think. Please leave a rating or review or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is on a break. I'm hoping to catch up with my chum, Keith Smith, host of the Fuel podcast and MD of The Advertist. I meet former CMO and MD of B2B Unleashed, Maureen Blandford, and Robert Rose. We'll be back in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us here next week at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.